This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, Piper's on a roll. And there's an easier way to update your panel mount GPS. Also, an electric aircraft takes to the sky. Find out how you can get an AOPA fly-in at your local airport. All right, Dave, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, guys. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulis. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. Uh, and David, you talked to our, our guest this week and quite, uh, quite a remarkable woman. That's right. Ramona Skychick Cox. And uh, her real job is she works for a company called Moto Art. And they mm. make really cool aviation art uh, out of things like uh, Boeing jet cowlings. Oh, cool. Yeah. But what we're going to find out about from Ramona is that, um, first of all, she's a great aviation camper. Oh. And so she's going to tell us some really cool camping trips and how to get going into the backcountry, do it safely, and with some really neat items. Awesome. Yeah, perfect time of year for that as, uh, as the weather finally, finally gets a little nicer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, get your destinations going. Yeah. Okay, great. So let's get right into it. Sun and Fun, obviously, just wrapping up as we record this. Uh, you were down there. Unfortunately, I had to miss it this year. But lots of interesting news, the first of which is that Piper, man, they are just killing it. They are on a roll, Ian. So uh, we found out the other day that Piper uh, just uh, inked another deal with ATP. This is a flight school company with 42 locations across the U.S. Yeah. And uh, they're buying another 100 Archer TX airplanes. Wow. They bought 100 of the Archers about five years years ago is when they started trickling in and piper's going to finish up with that original order and add another hundred more to that in my opinion and uh and simon caldicott you know referenced this i think they're throwing the gauntlet down to uh to textron cessna mm. for the training market yeah yeah i know and we talked about their how well they're doing a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the gamma numbers but um you know, and Simon, of course, when he was on as a guest, it's it's not by accident. I mean, this is part of their strategy to yeah. invest in sales and really get out there. And of course, with uh, with career training heating up like crazy, it is. And I talked to several people down at Sun and Fun, and they really pointed to the fact that the aviation industry does look like it's turning around. Yeah. But but and we we're talking a little bit about uh, Piper just a couple of, uh, weeks ago on the podcast. We mentioned the the Fan May sale that they had. Mm -hmm. you know, they sold 152 training aircraft to to the Chinese folks, yeah. uh, folks in Asia for their for their training market, which is just about to explode. Yeah, it's so cool to see these relatively small manufacturers get these huge orders because that's really nice stability for them for years and so really good for the community and everything else. It is. And speaking of that, um, so Piper's experiencing its most successful year since 2003. And just to give you an idea of, of how far they've come since uh, since Simon has been at the helm of that place, it, when he came on board in 2009, they had sold 14 aircraft that year. They delivered 14 that oh year. Oh, gosh. And so uh, and they had 560 people on staff. Mm -hmm. Well, now they have 941 workers. Wow. And they manufactured 145 aircraft last year. That's a tenfold increase. Fantastic. And they added, they just added 31 more people to their staff. They had a career fair and eight. 
180 people showed up in, oh, and they awesome. hired about a third of them. Oh. No, about a fifth of them. Yeah. So Fantastic. that's pretty good. I yeah. mean, that's, that's awesome. That is great. That is great. Um, okay, another piece of news has come out. You have dealt with this, like many frustrated owners. All of you out there who have done JEP updates oh. to your uh, to your panel-mounted equipment. We know how painful that could be. It can be. The process was like, oh, you got this sort of weird card reader, and you got to be on a laptop, and it takes a lot of time. Well, Bad Elf, who you may know, produces one of those little uh, GPS uh, dongle sort of uh, yeah, a little standalone GPS you put on your dash. Yeah, or or you can hook it into the the bottom of your iPad or iPad Mini. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. they um you know they do this thing where it's like it, it makes your iPad GPS capable. Anyway, they came up with this really creative solution um, with Jeppesen to basically give you mobile updates to older avionics. Well, first you've got to tell everyone the name of it, Ian. It's yeah. so cool. <laughs> the Wombat. The Wombat. I yeah. love that, man. It is cool. To it me, is it's cool. like that, that already says sleek and easy and, you know, go get them. Yeah, and it's uh, easy to remember, right? Right. Um, so we're going to explain this process a little bit because it's if you haven't done this or maybe you do it and you don't even think about it, it is a little confusing. The Wombat. So here we go. Step one. So you've got to have the JDM mobile app. Uh, which is Jeppesen's app. So if you have a Jeppesen subscription, uh, you know what this is. It's the distribution manager. You take your app, download your current data. Uh And so, of course, you can do that over Wi-Fi or 4G or 5G or whatever, right? Um, step two is the Wombat, which it looks like a battery brick. It looks like a, it does look like like an iPad or iPhone external battery that we're all being more familiar with now. Yeah, yeah. So that has a built-in Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. So you connect your your device, your tablet, your phone to the Wombat's Wi-Fi, and then the Wombat sucks over that data. Well, now it's also got a, a card input, like yes. an SD card input at the bottom of it, and a, and a USB output. Yeah. So then you take Whatever it is that you need to put in your panel, uh-huh. whatever card that is, downloads it to the card. You take the card out of the Wombat into the panel. You can sit in the cockpit the whole time and do it. Very cool. I think that's a great concept versus lugging around a laptop. And, you know, a lot of times laptops are pretty power hungry, mm-hmm. a little finicky sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we we almost always have our phones with us. Well, we do have our phones with us all the time because yeah. we have a lot of mobile, you know, flight apps on Yeah. Them. Including the AOPA (laughs) pre-flight planner. Nice. (laughs) Right. So um, what I was telling you a a little while ago, you know, I'm a bit of a photo boy here. And Mm -hmm. I was seeing uh, on this device that perhaps there's another way to download photos uh, using this this device because it's got a card reader in it that's got – it's basically got power and a card reader. Mm. And I think that's what's actually – Outputting the the data to those SD cards. Okay, it's so having that power. Uh, you'd be able to write to that card. Yeah, so it's a great point because it it has an internal battery, the Wombat. Um, it also will charge your tablet. Yes, it will. Which is so cool. So it's like if you you know if you're thinking like oh, I want you know do I invest in one of these like you know battery bricks and carry it around me? Well, now you've got a multi-purpose tool. It's a real good idea. Yeah, it is. So it's 250 bucks if you're flying a uh, a turboprop or a piston, which I think is good. And at least right now, it's supporting Garmin, Avidyne, and they say it's going to support Aspen, Dyna, Advanced, Genesis, uh, MGL, and uh, and GRT. So, so it's sort of a do-all, one-all with this one device, and yeah. it's really a pretty versatile piece of equipment. Yeah, pretty neat stuff. All right, so I'm going to ask Santa Claus for that right off the bat. Nice. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, uh, let's move on. This is a, a huge event. We've been watching these guys and uh, just wish them all the best. Really excited about this. The Sunflyer, George Buy's uh, company out of Colorado. Uh-huh. They uh, they flew. They did. The, the Sunflyer 2, uh, the prototype, took its first test flight the other day out of Centennial Airport, mm-hmm. which is just outside of uh, Denver. And so uh, you were explaining to me a little, a little while before we started the podcast that this airplane it started out with with solar cells in the wing. Well, yeah. So the idea is the name, you know, Sunflyer. It was never meant to be a solar electric airplane strictly. Uh-huh. The idea was, and it'll be interesting to see if it can come to fruition, is that you know your avionics, all your ground test, everything else, all that stuff is relatively low power, uh-huh. and I mean compared to the engine at least. And so the solar panels were meant to supplement the batteries okay. for just you to know, get that stuff cranked up. Yeah, basically, gotcha. and, um, to on help the ground get ready. Yeah, the battery power. And the, and we already know that the batteries um, in the past uh, year or so, the, w- there's been a, a leap in technology that actually brings about a, a lot of this to fruition. Yeah, it is really cool. I mean, one thing we should say about this flight is that they're not using their final engine partner yet, which I, I found interesting. Well, they didn't really announce who the final partner is. No, no, they didn't. No, they so they flew with apparently 
a uh, an interim engine partner. Uh, we should say motor, I guess, because it's an electric motor. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. Obviously, the promise, like we've talked about. I mean, you've got these 10,000-hour, you know, TBRs where it's, you know, it's just this device. You throw it away. You get a new one. Um, significantly cheaper than an engine. The per-hour cost is way down compared it's to gasoline. It's $3 an hour to operate. Yeah. That is, that's incredible. Yeah. I can see again. I can see this being a really cool thing in the training environment, Ian. Around the pattern, just learning the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, why spend 150 bucks an hour, or 200 bucks an hour uh, in another type of aircraft if you could do it for much cheaper and just build your hours and just get the basic rud- sticking rudder skills down. Absolutely. So, I th- to me, I think that that's where the, the, this technology will really shine to begin with. Yeah, it's very cool, very exciting. Can't wait to fly it. All right, so. AOPA fly-ins. Well, wait a minute now. What, what, what? Don't leave that yet. Let's talk a little about Terrafugia. Oh, yeah, that's or right. It, or is it Terrafugia? I, uh, I don't know. I don't speak German. Okay. So, but now, well, you know, we talked a little minute, a little while ago about Piper having a pretty good year. Yeah. And they brought some work, you know, more people to their workforce. Well, Terrafugia, the mm-hmm. folks that are bringing us the flying car, they just added 75 jobs to their workforce. Okay. Which I think is significant because it shows me that they're expanding their workforce because they're thinking that they have some some cool uh, things on the horizon. You know, you got a couple of milestones that maybe they're, they're getting ready to do, and they're getting ready to crank it up. Hmm. What do you cool. think about that? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, they got that investment, well, investment, uh, new ownership uh, a couple of months ago uh, from the Chinese company that also owns Volvo. Right. Um, so I guess that's uh, that's good. I mean, not a huge surprise because you've got that new investment, and so um, they're actually putting something behind the company now, which is great to hear. And we did see a lot of um, a lot of in- interesting technology come out of some recent the recent show out in Las Vegas and elsewhere, where we saw a little bit more about uh, the vertical takeoff and landing world, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it sort of to me says that the technology. Is maturing and getting there, especially with some of these advances in battery technology and things like that. But, you know, yet again, the stumbling block to me is probably going to be the airspace and how you regulate it and how how do you kind of make it all mesh. Yeah, it is. um, It is interesting. I mean, obviously, they of course, started with the idea of a flying car, which is a very old concept that never really worked. Yeah. Um, And it seems like they might just skip that and go straight to the VTOL, which of course, the jury's still out on whether that will work, but like we've talked about, the technology probably will. But you know, it's, either way, it's like there's going to be tons of companies that just never make it. So there are, and yeah. um, but the electric technology that we started talking about a minute ago is it looks like it really is fixing to happen. And yeah. we said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that uh, we talked a little bit to Siemens and those folks, and they were predicting about the year 2050 that we'd all be flying in in, uh, in commercial aircraft with the electric engines. Yeah. Yeah, so it's true. Pretty interesting stuff on horizon. Yeah. All right. Can we talk about flying now? Yes, we can. All right. So, Sun and Fun kicks off that flying season. Uh, AOPA flyings are about to ramp up here in the next couple of months. That's right. Uh, starting out in, in Missoula, Montana, in June, but we're already looking forward to the next few years. And uh, to that end, we established uh, a couple weeks ago a re- the request for proposals. Looking out over the next couple of years. Yeah, and so the abbreviation that I learned about not long ago, RFP, the That's Request right. for Proposals, is pretty interesting. And so if, if folks out there listen to the podcast have a really wonderful airport with good services and a place for camping and a little place for, for tents and a you know, setup that we could do some of our all-day seminars, they can really promote their own airport. They can get in touch with the airport managers, the folks that are directing the airport, and, and get a proposal together and bring an AOPA flying to their neighborhood. Yeah, this is really cool. I mean, I think all you need to do is see the stories from where we've had previous fly-ins, but it brings a lot of excitement to the local community, some revenue to the local community, and just kind of brings everybody together. It's a great way to show off your airport to maybe local politicians. So we've uh, in the past, we've been really happy with the proposals that we've gotten. But we love doing it this way because it just it lets people show off their airport to us and say, what is it that you can offer that uh, that would make a great event yeah, space? Yeah, it's a real participatory. And we're thinking about, you know, the airport is we want a, a great facility in the airport itself. But we also are looking more at the community. Mm-hmm. What can we do to, in the community to hang out, go see things like uh, over in uh, Bremerton, Washington? We went and we had a tour of some some ships and we also went and saw the Boeing factory. Yeah. And so those kind of things. Actually, uh, I was just talking to my buddy Gerald Herbert out in the New Orleans and I I told him that he needed to get on board with this as well. Yeah. And uh, he flies a Cessna 172, and he was psyched. He was going right to the folks running the airport and and letting them know about it over at Lakefront because in New Orleans, man, I'd love to go there. Yeah, that would be fun. 
That would be fun. So if you think you've got a great airport to host an event, let us know. Um, you can find the RFP on the website, the um, the sort of the one-page statement of interest, they call it. Uh-huh. Uh, that's due May 14th. Oh, yeah, the deadline. We should tell, tell folks about that. Absolutely. Yeah, so go online. You'll see the contacts. It's Chris Eads. He runs this program. Uh, so May 14th, you got to write the one pager that it's like, yeah, we, we raise our hands, we're interested in, and then you'll work um, with Chris to develop a more complete proposal. It is a fun thing to do, and folks who have not been to an AOPA fly-in is just cool. There's a lot of camaraderie, and it really is a great way to show off your entire community. Yeah, very true. All right, so we mentioned Sun and Fun. You just got back, so tell me, what'd you see, what, what'd you like? I well, one of the most interesting things that I heard about um, was that during the air show every day, uh, there was going to be a little bit more of a participatory environment, Ian, where folks could don virtual reality headsets and actually feel like they're inside the cockpit of one of the air show performers like a Mike, Michael Goulian, for instance. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, or Randy Ball in the MIG jet. That's awesome. So, uh, and, and I was pretty psyched to see about that and, uh, and hear about that, and it takes it to another level. We were talking a little bit about this uh, before the podcast, and I've got a, a teenage daughter, and she's all the time on her device, you know, on her little phone and mm-hmm. all, and it's just, just another way to, to connect with other folks yeah. and share that really interesting sensation of flying. And when I talked to Greg Gibson down at Sun of Fun, he's the air show organizer he said look dave you got to be real careful because it really feels like you're in there with them and if it's a hot day and you're spinning around you know you, you <laughs> might <laughs> you might not want to eat huh? a lot before you put uh, that headset on yeah so I, I admit i'm a dinosaur with this stuff um have you done any virtual reality things yet i haven't uh, just a teensy bit of it i just okay. t- touched the surface of that um and so it could be a little overwhelming it's a very interesting central input hmm. um and, and you can get a little bit dizzy if you're not careful with it i hmm. think but it is really cool I and mean, it puts you right in the pilot seat like a lot of uh drone racers huh. you know they're using yeah, that same that's kind true. of thing that's true actually I, I take that back i think i did they didn't even call it virtual reality because it happened before that was even available before that term was a term yeah i think it was lincoln electric um but the you know the welding supplier yeah yeah so they had they do this at sun at, at the air shows maybe Oshkosh apparently but we saw them at this Boy Scout convention uh-huh. and so you put on the welding helmet yeah you know you flip down the front and you've got the little welding I don't know what's called the welding stick thing the selling torch and all yep, like that yep, yep thanks uh-huh. um, you've got that in your hand yeah and you're and and so you flip it down and there's a screen a video screen and you're standing on the side of a building oh man. Um, on a big you know on on a steel beam yeah and you get to put your hand out there and you can see where your hands move that's cool and you weld and this is how they train welders apparently or you know at least they're, they're trying to so now um, were you strapped in in a multi-point harness and so you didn't fall off of that off that beam no that no building? but it's it does it's like you peer over the edge and it does like make your stomach drop a little bit it is it's fascinating stuff that's cool yeah well i'll tell you something else that's new and cool over at uh at in the air show season is um, the folks that I hung around with last year and took a ride with the Phillips Aerostars, Ian, they were flying these Yak-52s last year, which they have been flying for a number of years, and they just rung them out. So they've got all new extra 330 aircraft, uh, nice. and they are cool, man. That's awesome. So they, they busted out their first performance uh, over at Sun and Fun. It was an aerial ballet is kind of what they do. There's hmm. a, they're a, they're a high-performance team, and they do a lot of maneuvers. They do maneuvers together. They come racing at each other, and they do breakaways. Um, it was pretty pretty exciting. I thought they did a good job. That's awesome. Yeah. I, talk, I, cool. I talked to Paul Rocket uh, Hornick a little bit after the show, and he said, well, they were a little rusty on some of that. <laughs> but, you know, in the crowd, I couldn't tell. I thought they I did a great that. job. I know. I know you can't tell. Yeah, so, so we, we cool. had Rocket on uh, on the podcast yeah, a while right. back. Yeah, that's right. Very cool. I, a couple of things I saw that I liked, um, the new Bose headset. Uh-huh. So this is, you know, they say it's meant for the commercial market, but I know a lot of folks really prefer these. This is an in-ear headset. You know, I'm in the market for a headset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a new one to look at. So instead of the, you're, I've written so many product reviews, circumoral. So instead of the headset that, you know, is all around your ear and right. it closes it, it's uh-huh. just the earpiece that goes in your ear canal, right? Kind of like the Bluetooth devices that you could put in uh, in your ear from, from your, your your iPhone. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of uh, a lot of people who fly turbines use these because oh, okay. you don't need the full headset. In spirit of that, they put in some cool features like a button that you can touch on the side that mutes the ANR. So if you want to talk to like a crew member. Oh, right. 
or something so like that. So you can that. hear them better. Yeah. Because the A&R does provide, actually, f- to do the automatic noise reduction like that, it also provides different different frequencies that are off-band. Yeah. So it could be a little disconcerting if you're trying to just chat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it's very lightweight, and so, you know, we've had folks who have put it on. They say it's really incredible. It's about the same price as an A20. That's Now, that to me was startling when you started yeah. telling me that. Now, the A20 is not, in my opinion, is still pretty expensive. Yeah. And we're talking oh, about 1000 yeah. bucks. Yeah, more or less, yeah. But if this other technology, in-ear technology, and with all these safety advances and all these other cool features, um, is about the same price, yeah. I think that's kind of a double win. Yeah, so we'll have to see how it performs on a piston. Because it's, you know, what they do with these things is fascinating. They they tune the frequencies to the frequencies of the aircraft. Uh-huh. So it could be that it won't work in a piston as well as it does a turbine. I don't know yet. Yeah. We'll see. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe they've done it in a wide enough band that it works fine. But, you will you know, if you wear an A&R and, like, I don't know, pick an airplane, a Bonanza versus a 172. If you really listen, there's a performance difference because it's it's optimized for a certain frequency range. No kidding. Yeah. That's so. pretty wild. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the, that whole headset technology has come so long in, in a really relatively short time, that it, but it is good to see it still moving ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just can't even imagine back in the, in the 1960s and 70s and even before that, you know, having one speaker overhead, external yeah. speaker with <laughs> yes. no ear protection. That's right. And it's and like the micro- handheld microphone. Yeah, handheld mic. Right, yeah, right. It's come a long way. That's amazing. Um, the other cool thing, I, I'm a firm believer in these uh, airbag seatbelts. Uh-huh. Amsafe. I think this is such a cool product. They came to the office a couple of years ago to tell us about these and kind of show us. And they've got this video that is essentially, you know, the crash test videos you see for cars? The crash test dummy? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the same thing. Uh, except it's airplane cockpits. Uh-huh. And it's a series of videos where it's, it'll be like, uh, it'll show somebody with no seatbelt. Okay. And of course, the guy's face slams into the da- you know, right. the panel, and it's you know not fun to watch. Not a pretty sight. No. And then they'll show it with a regular seatbelt. And the seatbelt that they tested in this case, it was like a, a Cherokee cockpit. Uh-huh. The shoulder harness just completely fell off. Oh, really? The cabin completely disengaged from the top of the cabin. Oh, my. Oh, like it ripped wasn't off. there. Yeah. Ripped off it. And still, the guy's, you know, the, the dummy's face slams into the top of the panel. And so you're like, you know, concussion and broken nose and all oh, that other man. stuff. I know. It's really bad. But then they show a video of their airbag, and everything's fine. It's like the guy comes forward, the seatbelt's coming off, but the airbag deploys in time, and uh, no problem. That's pretty significant. And the other thing that we really didn't touch uh, base on just now, but it does happen when you're flying, some of the older models that even have a shoulder harness is that the shoulder harness slips off your shoulder. Oh, that's true, too. You know, I'm not talking yeah. about a five-point harness. That's right. pretty secure. But, like, the one that goes across your, your chest, basically, diagonally, that could slip off, too, if you're not yeah. careful. Yeah. So what they're developing, they've had these aftermarket kits. Um, they're, they've been relatively pricey because they've had to go kind of model by model. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, a lot of uh, engineering and certification at man hours. So right. the cost goes up. So they're trying to develop a piece of equipment that is universal across models. Uh-huh. Um, so what they're looking for is an approved model list, STC, which would get a, a nice wide band. Right. And as a result, what they're looking at is uh, a two-seat kit, so both front seats, for about 2500 bucks. Now that to me, okay, again, we're talking about aviation monetary units. So that, <laughs> That's right. That's Two and a half. Right. Yeah. But um, – for instance, I had a Mooney that I was really, um, I, I was uh, really wanted shoulder harnesses on. It didn't come with it because it was made in the '60s, and so I got my mechanic to put those on. And it was about three, four hundred bucks per side for for the device, hmm. and an equivalent amount in labor to put it on. So we're yeah. talking about twelve, thirteen hundred bucks, fourteen hundred dollars for two shoulder harnesses. Just shoulder harnesses. Now, yeah. If you're telling me that I can get a, an an airbag seatbelt yeah. kind of a setup that's going to be safer. Um, and more dependable for about double that. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating, and they take about a day to put in. Uh, we've had them done on sweepstakes airplanes and others. So, it is. Um, it's such a I think big safety advance because you know you yeah. think about all the injuries that happen on landing accidents. Right. And um, it's you know some cheap insurance. Well, that's cool stuff. And let's, let's hope that we got our fingers crossed. Let's hope that they'll take it the rest of the way across the finish line. Yeah. Great. All right. Hey, let's talk about flying camping. Um, and uh, and Ramona and, and some of her adventures. So I ran into uh, Ramona Skychick Cox, and she's going to tell us some cool ways to go camping with your aircraft. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome to Hangar Talk, Ramona Cox, Sky Chick. Uh, thanks for coming and being a guest on our show. How's it going here in Madras, Oregon? I am so excited about the eclipse. I am shocked to see all the different types of airplanes coming in from Super Cubs to I just saw a Citation and everybody's out with their tents on the tarmac. So it's amazing the diversity that we have out here. And that's that's why I was inviting you on the show. Mm -hmm. You are an expert airplane camper person. You've been camping with aircraft for a while and you have the coolest fold out uh, cheat sheet, if you will. And I was hoping you can tell us a little bit about camping with your aircraft. Sure. Yeah. I actually created, it's the ultimate air camping checklist and I created it because it didn't exist. And what I did is I put together all the different things. And if you have a super cub, you take a little less stuff. If you have a bigger plane, you take more. But I put a lot of the critical stuff on there and especially the things that you would put in a backpack so that if you needed to get out and go and be completely Uh self-contained then you could use that so there's all kinds of stuff in there and yeah, I've been camping for air camping for 15 years. Is that right? Now, mm-hmm. tell uh, tell our podcast listeners on Hangar Talk what kind of aircraft you have. I have a stationaire, a TU-206, and turbo is really handy uh-huh. when you're in Idaho in high altitude, density altitude, hot weather. It It's really the cat's meow. Is that one of your favorite places to go, Idaho in the backcountry? I love Idaho. Idaho and Montana, I think, have the best. And the reason I say that is because I specifically seek two things one that there is no road access and two (laughs) that there's water because i fish that's how i eat Uh, i I fish i hunt a little bit with a bow just small game fowl and yeah so i'm fishing and i need a stream or a lake or something to be able to fish so those are my targets and i prefer that there's no car access for example in montana shaper meadows it's in the middle of 1.4 million acres of wilderness okay it would take two days for somebody to just hike in there. So wow. that's one of my favorites. That's my absolute favorite in Montana. Schaefer Wilderness? Schaefer Meadows. Schaefer Meadows, okay. Mm-hmm. Schaefer Meadows, so, Montana. So don't tell anybody about that so no one will go. Or no, it'll be too crowded I'm, next time you're there. Yeah, no, I'm happy. I love when, <laughs> when people start doing it. It's it's. I mean, you can always do the hamburger thing, but if you have the equipment and if you have the training, which it's very important to get training to yeah. do backcountry, yeah. but as long as you do that, it's, I mean, I love love I started backpacking I backpacked all my life until I got an airplane and one day there was this light bulb that went off and I thought I can get farther faster deeper into wilderness in my plane and so and having the the 206 is perfect for it because I can carry a thousand pounds and 80 gallons of fuel now you're not going to carry a thousand pounds of camping supplies I've carried 800? Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. It seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. But it, but it's because for many years I'd, I'd take a, a kayak, oh, I'd okay. take a motorized bike, I'd, I'd take some heavy things, and I'd go out for four months. So okay. mm-hmm, I wasn't going out for a weekend. I mean, I had to have everything I needed for four months. So I that's gotcha. all the food, all the gear, everything to be prepared for all types of weather. Okay. It's, it's why I kind of have been... People like me to test their gear. Well, speaking of which, I saw you kind of tooling around in uh, Camarillo on a kind of an interesting little little kind of a moped bike thing. Was it? Is that what I was seeing? Right. Yeah. It's it's actually just a regular folding bike, and it has a, a small Honda motor on it. Yeah. And so some people are going electric nowadays, which is great. Yeah. But. But where I go, there is no way to power it. To charge it up once. Right. And plus, a lot a lot of times in the mountains, uh, you get uh, darkness earlier. Yes. And you're in the shadows earlier. So, yeah, that could be a problem. Right. So, that, okay. that yeah, that would be a problem. And there's no way you're going to power anything like that with solar. Those so, you've batteries. got a, it's like a little Honda engine, and it's Honda. a, a little fold-up bike. Fold-up bike, and I can pull fuel right out of my wing. Aha. It will there run with that. So, yeah. that, that helps in having something that's real versatile like that. We're talking mm-hmm. multi-purpose. Right. You know, we've got your aviation fuel. You're already set. Right. So you're good. And it's fast. It'll go 30, 35 miles an hour. It goes faster than you want to run yeah. it. Let's put it that way. And that it comes in real handy because every once in a while, if I go someplace that there is a road, even if it's a gravel road, a dirt road, a forestry road, whatever it yeah. is, I can get to a supermarket. Even if I land at an airstrip, how do you get to the supermarket? And that's, I have a little backpack I throw on and I can run and I can get groceries. I can stock up on supplies. Yeah, yeah. So I think for, for anybody that can fit it in uh-huh. their baggage compartment, you know, one or two, then 
It's it's a real good idea. So what kind of bike uh, do you prefer? Do you have a particular brand or would you rather steer us in another direction? Uh, you know what? I don't I can, I will not say I have a particular brand and I say that for a specific reason because it depends on your size. Okay. Yeah, you need to get a bike that's appropriate for your size. That fits you, right. And, and that will fit your airplane. Uh, right, because on Mooney, you have to drop the, the stuff in through the baggage door, which is on top. A Cessna comes through a smaller door on the side. Right. Or through the, the, uh, the main doors. Right. Yeah, so it depends on the aircraft. I get it. Right. Okay, I have cool. cargo doors. So, so basically anyway. experiment with that mm-hmm. and then f- see what fits, what fits you, what fits your aircraft. Right. Okay. The little uh, honda engine idea is a great idea it yeah it works out well for me and unfortunately i can't tell somebody where to get it because a person made it for me and then he quit making them so i can't say you can go buy it here oh bummer yeah i know bummer well let's talk about some other cool stuff that you do use now uh, i think we chatted briefly at the camarillo aopa fly-in which was in april and i was asking you a little bit about some of the items that you took uh backpacking and everything now you've been through several versions of camp stoves Yes. Right? Yes. And I think I might have asked you about like a wood kind of a version and oh, some other right. funky stuff. Well, and, and and can you remember, if, if you would not mind repeating what you thought of that wood version? Junk. Right. Complete junk. Junk. Complete junk. And there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't make sense for pilots because right. it doesn't work. Right. It just does, it doesn't work with pilots or non-pilots. Any camper, there's stuff that it's a good, sounds like a good idea, but it doesn't work. And that's Give me your them. worst five pieces of gear that would be one of them okay the um, wood stove. <laughs> yeah that that was ridiculous i'm i mean i'm not a fan of the claw uh-huh. uh at just because i've i have pictures of several airplanes the that claw are turned, tie down thing. the claw tie down gotcha. yeah okay. i love fly ties to okay. me i've used them in the uh, worst I, conditions okay. i love fly ties that's yes, a so good I'm, tip for our, yeah. our pilots out right there. not a fan of the claw i've just seen okay too many situations and then let me think. What about something like a fire starter, kind of a striker, kind of a thing, anything like that? Uh, that was a worst product. Ooh. Worst product and then the best. Okay, the worst product. Well, I don't know if I've come across the worst fire striker. Okay. But as far as the best, I've, okay. tr- I've tested those matches that you, it says it will light and it'll, it'll go in water. I've actually they're kind of like them. dipped in uh, wax or something. Yeah, or I don't know weird. what they're, but I've actually lit it, dipped it, uh-huh. and then took it out, and it started again. Okay. Now, but it, that didn't do it too many times. Oh, okay. So I don't think you could dip it too many times. But there's a new product that's called Wet Fire. Uh huh. And it, imagine it's you know maybe double the size of your thumbnail, and it's some type of a material that it actually will light sitting in water. Wow. It's amazing. Right. But you still have to light something. Like you still need dry twigs or something, or, or unless you're going to burn your clothes. Right, right. <laughs> no, no. You run around and you gather, you right. gather twigs and things, and just be real careful with, especially during fire season. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The way, and actually, we're out here now in Madras, Oregon, for the solar eclipse, or where we're recording this, and there are three large forest fires burning near us right now. Right. So this is pretty serious stuff to be a responsible camper. Oh, Maybe we should segue into that. Do you got any any responsible camping tips for us? And we'll come back, circle back around to the best products that you like. Right. Yeah. Um. I would say as far as camping tips, just don't light a fire if it's windy. All right. Don't don't light fires in places that there's any potential chance that it can jump the fire ring. Don't uh-huh. ever light it without a fire ring. Okay. Pay attention if they say it's that you can't light a fire, just don't. Okay. Because um, a lot of times there are certain areas that they say no fire is right it's now. It's prohibited. Right. Maybe make sure you have some some foils of tuna or something like that to carry you over instead. Right. Something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Power bars, things yeah. like that. Oh yeah. So now, um, uh, now getting back to fires real quick. Like, any recommendations? How close? How far away from an aircraft to do a fire? This could be a tricky thing. Right. Yeah. No, you should never do it anywhere near the wing. I oh, mean, right. I'd, I'd want to be. I don't know, fifty feet away. I mean, I'd I'd want to be quite a ways. From yeah. from a wing, I just some, in case fumes. Sure, I did some aircraft camping over in Oshkosh at Air Venture. I flew my, an air coop up there from Atlanta when I, I was based out of Atlanta, and uh, yeah, I had a little uh, a little camp stove right there, kind of on the flight line. Probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world to do. But I got it done. Right. Yeah, live and learn. Right. Not recommending that to the podcast listeners out there. <laughs> so we got some cool things to not do. Um, what about like, um, and I saw your your handout, um, and it was really cool. You had, if I recall, the foldout um, had 
important stuff on the left. Mm-hmm. And then on the right, I think you had safety items. And where can they get this at skychick.com? Yeah, or? skychick.com. Okay. Yeah, they they can get it there. And the left side is truly stuff that you throw in a pack yeah. and you would grab it and run. Okay. If you had a, something happen, that's that will get you through. Okay. The right side is secondary emergency equipment. Right. Okay, if you have room. And then the inside is everything Additional. else. Additional. Additional. And, and we you say anything from optional to glamping. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And for gl- for people who don't know what glamping is, can you tell us what it is? Oh, glamping. It's like a glamorous camping. Right. It is glamorous camping. Yeah. And I mean, I I can't say that I'm not guilty of some of it, but again, I I have a big plane, so right. even when I was traveling, I would I would camp for four months, and That's but incredible. I had a mini chest of drawers, a little plastic chest of drawers. Wow. It looked like it was glamping, but the truth is, it's the easiest way to organize everything, okay. and it doesn't weigh any more than one of the normal folding plastic boxes. Okay. So it just made. It it made perfect sense That's for cool. me. Now, do you bring some aircraft safety repair items with you, like duct tape or, I don't know, oh, cotter yeah. pins or stuff? Yeah, abs- I mean, I'll bring duct tape and small things, but yeah. people have asked, well, what if? Well, I can't bring an extra tire. Uh-uh. You know, I can't bring an extra cylinder. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff I can't bring. Right. And so what I do bring is a, is a, um, a satellite phone. I asked you what the most important thing was, and that is what you told me. Right, yeah, the sat phone, because that it... Remember with a sat phone that if you are deep in a canyon, you may have to wait for a satellite to come across. Oh, to so fly overhead. Fly overhead. Don't think it's always going to work. Oh, but that's a key takeaway. It really is. And But when you need it, at some point, a satellite will go overhead. You just watch the bars, mm-hmm. and they keep getting more and more, and yeah. then you make your call. So a satellite phone, it will get you, I mean, in an emergency, and then also I use a spot. The spot uh, locating beacon. Right, the spot Gen 3. Yeah. And it's great because you can push a button that just says, I'm okay. You can push a button that says, I'm not okay, but it's not that big of a deal, but I could use help. And then you push the, it hit the fan button. Gotcha. And so then they send out the troops, whether it's the forestry service, it doesn't, whoever, whoever is the local, save it. And what is super cool about the spot is that you can track where you're going. And so let's say that you have family at home and they're worried about right. you, right? So you can track where you're going. Yeah. And when you do that, you can share the page with your family. They can see exactly where you're going. Okay. Right? And so that let's say that's non-pilots at home. I usually make sure that a pilot is tracking it as well because uh-huh. non-pilots may not recognize that you stopped but you stopped someplace where there is no runway okay which means there's a problem but they oh, wouldn't right. know right if you're a non-pilot you would have no idea you would think that's the, the assumed destination right exactly okay. yes yeah. so if non-pilots are looking at it they'll look and say well wait a minute there's no runway there right. why are why is he sitting there for so long okay. or she that's cool to think about yeah. yeah it's really cool and so your loved ones can look and watch and make sure that everything's everything's okay and you land at your destination you hit the okay button and it sends them an email modern technology i know use it for you use it for your advantage absolutely and there's no reason not to right i mean i i know how to disappear i like to be stealth but Uh at the same time i don't want to be stealth stupid right I, i mean it's better that at least somebody knows where you're going and what your intentions are and i don't even know where i'm going half the time so you're there yeah until i'm there right yeah now, uh, speaking of going places, uh, Dave Hirschman and Chris Rose went and documented the Burning Man. Right. It was uh, last year, I think. And they ran into you. It was a really cool story about that, the Burning Man Festival. Now, you told me earlier that you were not going to go this year for the first time in how long? Right. I don't know, 20 years. I wow. mean, yeah, I've gone. So, now, you have alternate plans. Where are you going to go? Or are you still formulating that? Right. Well, this is one of them. I mean, because Burning Man is coming up very, very soon. Right. And in fact, when I leave here, I'm heading into Oregon uh-huh. and then into to do some camping there, air camping, and then into Idaho. So by the time I get back, I think Burning Man will have already started. Okay. Right? So it, there's no way I could do both. And I kind of made a decision that I wanted to do all new things. Oh, you did? Right. Okay. Yeah, in December. I, th- I started adding up all the been there, done that, and it added up to about two and a half months and so I started eliminating 
the been there, done that, so that I could have all new stuff. Oh, neat. Yeah, right. And so... Expand your horizon, so to speak. Absolutely. Just try it. It's a big world, and there's a lot of experiences and new opportunities, and so I'm making the time to do that instead of doing the same thing over and over. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I love Burning Man, but I just... No need to go this year. I got you. When you've gone for twenty, so I got you. All right. So now another thing is that you are you're a pilot. You're a a good pilot. You're a backcountry pilot, and you're a female pilot, which we need more female pilots in this world. Now, does that does that ever bother you? Are you ever concerned about flying into these remote locations solo by yourself? Well, I'm armed. Okay. I'm armed, and I actually I have a concealed weapons permit, and yeah. and so I know how to use weapons. Okay. And my experience after 15 years of doing it, I've only had one questionable situation, right. and other than that, I don't really worry about pilots okay. out there because pilots have always been friendly and polite and helpful, and and all of that. It's kind of so like a, a community of of like-minded folks right it's a community and so i mostly bring weapons for if there i mean there's a lot of predators out there there. and they're not not where you're going you've got you've got grizzly bears a lot of the times if you're going up to montana and wyoming right yeah shaper meadows is one of the largest populations of grizzly bear that's outside of alaska so there's a lot of grizzly bears up there so between that, you have wolves, packs yeah. of wolves. You have moose, which people think, oh, how cute. Well, moose, I've had some they're moose huge. sneak up on me. Well, they're huge, but they're pesky. Okay. They, they have honorary personalities, and they'll, they'll stomp you for the sport of it. Oh, no. Right? And so there are some people say, oh, they always run. Let me, I'm here to tell you, they don't always run. Uh-huh. And I really had to very maneuver my way out of a very bad situation with a moose that wasn't running. It was actually coming at me, but in a very bizarre way. It, uh-huh. was, it was an unusual circumstance. But yeah, nonetheless, the moose are an issue. Okay. Um, there's a lot of things that are out there. Well, that brings us to another cool safety topic. Any special safety reminders or advice for um, wildlife, for things like moose, things like wolves, things like the bears? What, bear would, spray. what would you recommend? Bear spray. Bear spray. Bear spray. I use counter assault. Okay. It'll shoot something like... 70 seconds and it'll shoot 35 feet okay and that's really important because i read statistically that you are better off using bear spray than you are a gun okay and why the, the yeah there's very specific reasons because if imagine if you have a gun and there's a bear running at you you're probably pretty scared yeah you know and and so there's a good chance you are going to miss your target yeah right i mean you're just yeah that, right you're shaking bear spray has a wide range. Broader. It's a, it's a, broader, uh, a broader target area. It's a broader target area. And then also, it confuses them uh-huh. because they're all of a sudden, why is everything stinging? Their eyes are stinging, their nose is stinging. As compared to if you shoot them, that hurts and they're mad. And okay. sometimes shooting it might them. Just pr- it might just prompt them to come at you even stronger. Exactly. Or right. faster. Right. And, okay. And a little gun isn't that terribly effective against them. I, I mean, I <laughs> carry a little 40 with hollow points, which is great, but um, I also carry a shotgun. Yeah. That, that would be more effective, but my first choice would be the bear spray. Bear spray. Because literally, statistically, they're... Of the attacks, the survival rate is much higher with bear spray than it is with guns. Uh, so with bear spray, okay, bear spray is one thing. Any other thing of, uh, to you know, think about bears in particular, mm-hmm. run downhill, uphill, anything like that? Oh, they run in all directions faster than you can imagine. Climb a tree? Don't ever try to outrun a bear. Okay, you that just won't, won't work. And you can try hiding, you know, jog- jugging yourself around a tree, but... None of that stuff's very effective. I mean, your best hope is that they do a bluff charge, but uh-huh. you just don't know what's a bluff and what's not. Okay, that's where it gets okay. a little bit tricky. I oh, got you on bears. What about wolves? Any wolf uh, wolf encounters yet? Um, I've seen them, but I've never. I've I know I've had mountain lion uh-huh. stalking. Ooh, that's me. scary. Yeah, that's that's scary. Uh, packs of wolves. I've seen them take down elk babies and yeah. stuff like that but i haven't knowingly i've seen a lot of wolf prints yeah yeah behind my trail okay but uh didn't know exactly if they were getting me but the mountain lions i that was i knew i was 
I knew something was there. Stalking but, you. Stalking, yeah. right, right. So I've come across that. I think bear spray would work for just about any animal. I was going to ask if that might be a pretty good generic you know, do-all thing. Now, what about when you're camping and you're making um, a fish dinner or something like that? Any any safety tips for, for you know, uh, stowing food away, things like that? Absolutely. Um, I I never that, have That might any... not be something people think about if they're not experienced in the, in the wilderness. Right. I never have food in the plane. I mean, I make sure that I don't spill food in the plane. I don't do anything that could get them toward the plane. And then I'll usually put all my food in a big backpack, uh-huh. my dry, dry type food, whatever, and then hang it in a tree. From a tree, right. Okay. And I've actually heard them climbing up the tree and breaking the branch to get to my food, which they have, and they yeah. tear it up, and there's nothing stinkier than bear slobber. Oh, great. It's so stinky. <laughs> you don't want to go anywhere near anything, of, even if it's a can that wasn't opened, it's so stinky, okay. and they get done slobbering all over it. I also figured out this way to, every once in a while, if I have a small ice chest, so if I go to Burning Man, I might bring a small ice chest, and there's a way that you can take a bungee cord and take four of them, two in opposing directions, so tight that almost, and it has to have the metal clips, not right. not plastic, so tight that you can barely, 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 barely get it. Well, their nails can't seem to get underneath it. And I'm not talking about grizzly, but I'm talking about other smaller bear. Yeah. And I've had one literally bang that ice chest for... I don't know, half a mile down the and, road. But they can't get into it because it's, t- it's, it's wrapped tightly. It's wrapped tightly. They make sure it's super teeth. tight. Right. Yeah, they can't get their teeth under it, and they can't get their claws under That's it. That's a so, great tip for yeah, pilots that, that for seem, camping. That seems to help, but keep your food well away from the plane. Okay, and, well away from and the plane and, and hang it. No, not in the tent, not in the plane, and hang it up with rope from a tall branch. Right, as, as best as you can. Sometimes that's not even possible, but at least if it's far enough away, it will distract them so that they're not encouraged to come okay. to you. All right, cool. And what about some, are there some interesting publications that you kind of go to that they might be your go-to publications for thinking about where to go or how to access something in the wilderness? Oh, absolutely. I would say Galen Hasselman. He has uh, a fabulous, it's Fly Idaho, Fly Montana, Fly Utah. Those are like the Bibles, I think, for most people. Um, Magazine-wise, Pilot Getaways, I think they have the best way of laying out an article that you can, for backcountry sort of stuff yeah the RAF yeah Recreational Aviation Foundation are they're doing the best best job of they saving. do a real good work a real good work in Idaho I know I talked to them about rebuilding a it's a lodge that they were trying to rebuild last year and I thought it was supposed to open this year Big Creek Lodge or something like that well there's Big Creek and then there's Minum Minum I don't know if they were involved in Minum Minum is a beautiful lodge in Oregon but my suggestion would be to land at Red's Walla Walla and then walk over to Minum because oh. Minum is a much trickier little strip oh. yeah, to land at. But it's I understand it's pretty expensive. Okay. So make make a call or email them first. Ahead to, of time. To, like ahead, you would do for any other, uh, any other destination. Right. Generally, when you're doing your pre-flight planning, make sure the destination is open. Right. Make sure you can land there. Make sure you can get out of there. Speaking of which, yes. a lot of places you can get into, but you can't get out of. Right. Any advice for, for pilots thinking about uh, or thinking or not thinking about that? Right. I, it's very important to think about, right? And the key is in the backcountry, try to go when it's cool. Uh-huh. So try to go early in the morning. People are generally landing super early in the morning or real late at night. Not It's not dark, but yeah. I mean late enough so that the winds have calmed. Because sometimes it, you're like a tennis shoe in a dryer when you hit the turbulence wow. coming wow. down into the canyons. Don't fly canyons that you don't that you haven't been in. I mean, I usually fly above the rim simply because I don't know them well enough mm-hmm. to feel safe. To, I might fly into a blind canyon, and I'm right. just not going to do that. So I know Lori McNichols has an amazing school up in Idaho. If somebody wants to learn, it's really good. I, ever, I've heard nothing but raving reviews. About that mountain flying about school? About her mountain flying school. Yeah, that's important because mountains make their own uh, weather. You know, right. no matter where you are, West Coast, East Coast, or in between, uh, I've experienced some of that on the East Coast myself. You know, AFP is headquartered over in Frederick, Maryland. It's not far from the Appalachians, mm-hmm. and uh, you can get nasty weather there. And you know, people don't think that they're tall mountains, but when you have a descending ceiling and rising terrain, 
uh, it's not good. It's not good. And there's, I mean, there's no instrument approaches out there. So you have to just be really, really cognizant and just know that if weather comes in, you may be stuck. Right. Because your only choice is to fly through the canyon. You have no idea what's going on in I that gotcha. canyon. I mean, you can talk to other pilots, but I think if the weather's down, you do your best to hunker down. Do you ever talk to other pilots ahead of time to sort of get a lay of the land of where you might want to go? Absolutely. Uh, I get every ounce of information I can. And so I may call McCall and talk to some of their pilots. If it's Utah, I'll talk to the backcountry, Utah backcountry pilots, because people don't realize that terrain can change the next day. If there's a, if there's weather that came in, it can wash out part of a runway. There can be I mean, the things is that it's unpredictable. That's the truth. Yeah. There can be elk wallows. There can be gopher holes that were just dug. Oh, right. And people can't necessarily tell you about that. And you're not going to see them when you're flying over. I mean, you want to do your best, fly overhead, look for deer, look for things that may be crossing the runway, look for some obvious things that if it's real wet, yeah. then there's a possibility if you land in that wetness that you may flip your plane. You could easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of it, I mean, if you go through a school, they will, they'll teach you quite a bit. Yeah. Um, or you just start with like Johnson Creek. Everybody cuts their teeth on Johnson Creek. Uh-huh. It's the perfect place. It's yeah. like a golf course. That's in Idaho. In Idaho. It's and that's long. in a valley. It's right. in a valley. No, yeah, I, yeah, I crashed a, a crashed a, no. there. Well, not in a real plane, though. Oh. In a simulator <laughs> at the Pilot Proficiency Center at AirVenture. Oh. But I did not land there nor take off well at all because I was used to East Coast routines. It was a grass strip, mm-hmm. and I think I put down partial flaps, and that was the wrong thing to do because right. it was sticking me to the, to the grass more. So even something like that, you know, is, right. could come and bite you. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of But Johnson Creek, yeah, a lot of people like that. It's Johnson, a good beginner strip uh, is, for backcountry. It's, it's the beginner <laughs> strip. Yeah, it really is because it's really long uh-huh. and uh, it's like a golf course. That's the green slope as compared to the Black Diamond. Right. Absolutely. And so it's a great place for people to learn. And I'm not saying there haven't been accidents because there have. Yeah. But um, it's... Yeah, that would that would be a good place. Okay. And then once you've done that, but I really have to emphasize, don't do Johnson Creek and then think you're a backcountry pilot because you did Johnson I Creek. I see. Because it's it is. It's the bunny slope. It's the bunny slope. But it's still a challenging piece of turf to yeah, deal absolutely. with. Absolutely, it's deep in a canyon. And you got to know your stuff, and you got to plan right. your entrance and plan your exit. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah you, that makes sense. I mean, I've seen aero commanders land there, though. I mean, so it's pretty good-sized planes land there. And I, I accidentally, I was flying over it when it was the big tire flying, uh-huh. which is really fun, and landed, and there were all these big tire guys. And it's just so much fun because they can get into shorter places yeah. than I can. Yeah. And they're, they're real light. I mean, I go in with so much gear yeah. uh, that I, I need some a bit longer. But but that's a good starter backcountry strip in mm-hmm. Idaho. That's a good one. Do you do much flying at all beyond like the Mississippi or any or Missouri River or is it all in the West? Pretty much the West has the best backcountry. Okay. It just does. Um, I've looked at everything in that direction and there are grass strips, but pretty much I think everybody comes out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They no, no do. doubt. It, it, there's a reputation for for uh, the accommodations and for cool pilots to hang out with and, and mm-hmm. things like that. And yeah, I totally agree. All right, uh, what else uh, can we think about as far as backcountry safety tips and things like that? And, and also we will remind listeners, skychick.com is where they could find a lot of this great information. You have some products that are available. In fact, I, I love your uh, your lip balm. Oh, thank Killer you. Killer stuff. Thanks. So, yeah. um, and you formulated that. You told me uh, over at Camarillo that that's your own formulation. Even right. This, so thinking about your degree of planning, you even planned the lip balm aspect of this. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it has to be SPF 15. It has to, I wanted something that tasted good and, you know, felt good and smelled good. And yeah, so I planned that. I actually was working on a mosquito spray because mm-hmm. I wanted something that was more, uh, that wasn't DEET. Right. But I flew to Alaska to test the spray. Uh-huh. And if you think about it, logically, you have to, they have to bite you without anything on. 
Okay. Right? Because yeah. if they won't bite you with no spray, then your spray, it doesn't make a difference. So why have any? Right. Right. Yeah. So I went into a bog uh-huh. full of mosquitoes. Uh-huh. You're crazy. Arms, arms uh-huh. exposed, <laughs> laying it right in their face like dessert. Yeah. None of them would bite me. They wouldn't bite me. But you're so sweet. Why wouldn't they bite you? I don't know. Maybe I had too much vitamin B, which I hear. Is oh, sucks. is that right? Maybe, yeah. Well, that, maybe. Maybe. But but the bottom line is I was never really thoroughly able to test my mosquito I gotcha. spray. Because if they won't bite me without it. But and, testing might continue in that direction. Oh, yeah. yeah testing uh, will gotcha. continue in well, that Well, that direction. would be a cool product. I know. Yeah. yeah Paul, that, Her- Paul Harrop and I, Paul Harrop from uh, AFPA Live is here monitoring this uh, the podcast. He and I went to um, uh, right outside of Sacramento to visit with an ag pilot. And I mean, a cloud of mosquitoes came into this uh, recording studio, which is an RV mm-hmm. right now on wheels. Uh, which we got for the eclipse, but uh, we were we were you know smashing mosquitoes for like three days. Right, they They're, were pesky. Oh, when they come in, there's actually a product I like, and it's called Thermacell, uh-huh. and it's it's not small. I mean, it's probably eight inches by three inches by an inch or something, but. You you kind of light it. It has a push button and it lights, and then there's a, a chemical in there. Uh-huh. And I've tested that where I sat sitting in my airplane in the middle of the backcountry and watched mosquitoes start to buzz in and try to get me. And then I I turned it on. Yeah. And they don't come. Huh. They don't come in. And so I have tested that product. And Thermacell. I'm, Therma, yeah, T H T H E R M A C E L. I so, like that. That's yeah. a great. It's a hot tip. Thermacell. That that's a good product. Cool. Right. So that works. Good. Yeah. Good. Now, have you ever had to hunker down and stay in your aircraft? I, I'm assuming you normally would do tent camping, or am I incorrect in that mm-hmm. assumption? Well, if I see a lot of bear prints, then I'll sleep in the plane with guns. Okay. Um, but uh, outside of that, I'm tent camping. Yeah. And one of the things that I figured out how to do is to, I have remote control lanterns uh-huh. and I position them outside of my tent just far enough away that if something comes, I listen and I listen for the sound to try to figure out what it is, if it's grunting or, you know, whatever kind of noise it might be making. Yeah. And then I wait for it to get right up to the tent right there. And then I turn on the light uh-huh. and then the shadow is emitted onto the tent okay so whether it's two legs or four legs i mean the shadow is going to be emitted so that i know is this something that claws are going to come through is it it moves something on four legs uh, oh so it, it identifies the threat it identifies the oh threat. how cool that's a great tip to our podcast listeners yeah it's it really helps because the shadow is worth a thousand words oh, you, man. sometimes it sounds like it's a bear and it's actually a squirrel yeah right yeah yeah or raccoon oh yeah or raccoon right they love they love food in backpacks they do <laughs> yeah they do yeah <laughs> well cool deal was well, there anything else that i haven't asked you that you want to uh, let our podcast listeners know we we really appreciate you coming on hangar talk by the way well thank you sure. yeah um let's see as far as things that i've provided created to share information i have a dvd okay it's called flying off the grid great it has a lot of gear information has a lot of different locations pictures what it's like approaches the landings all that so uh-huh. that that's good and then i have the same name flying off the grid a book that okay. i wrote and okay each chapter, I designed it so that it's sort of a metaphor. I use aviation as a metaphor. So, like, for example, I was trying to get someplace. I was trying to get to Burning Man. And it actually ended up being unsuccessful because of a number of mega obstacles that some could have actually killed me. But instead, I ended up landing somewhere on the desert and having a, a little feast with some people. And okay. then they asked me to go look for someone, and I ended up saving someone's life. That's and so awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, on the way there, what that that story is about is that a lot of times in life that you you have obstacles and you say, can can it get any worse than this? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. But then somehow at the end of that, that whatever has gone on, you say, wow, that's why this happened, because that person wouldn't be alive had I not had 
ma- major obstacle, 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 obstacle. And you so, ended up finding out finding out about that because you couldn't make it to your original destination, and you also saved yourself because it sounded like you had started that that link of of events that would have led to people looking for you. Right. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, there were it was just so many bizarre different things that that occurred. So exactly. So we got the DVD, we got a book, mm-hmm. and um, we know about uh, Ramona Skychick dot com cox's website right and what else do you have out there is there would that kind of wrap it up i would i would say that kind of wraps it up if they go to my website you can see a lot of pretty cool places and i have a lot of photos that that help identify if somebody wants to go to a place or not and if there's some place that someone's considering i'm always happy to share information they can just email me yeah what i can't answer i get this question a lot is i'm thinking about flying into here what do you think and i don't know the airplane i don't know the experience level so i can never say you can't put yourself in their shoes yet yeah I, i can't so i may say well have you been here and here and here and then i can sort of speculate but i can't really ever tell anybody you know, whether they're going to be safe going in and out. Sure. There are anomalies out there. Sure, and you never know. Well, let's uh, let's uh, take on one other subject before we close. The other thing that you do and spend a lot of time with your life is um, at a really cool place called Moto Art, right? You want to uh, tell our listeners what that is in a nutshell? Sure, yeah. Moto Art is a company that for the last 15 years, what we do is we take real airplanes and turn it into furniture. Yeah. And so when I say that, it's, in fact, we, we have a Cessna table right now. That's the first thing that we've ever done that was a GA type airplane. But generally what we have is military stuff. Okay. And so uh, let's say, for example, a elevator from a B-25 bomber becomes right. an executive desk. B-52 flap becomes a conference room table. Right. Um, a DC-9 uh, stabilizer becomes a amazing looking executive desk i mean coffee tables a gulfstream stabilizer beautiful much bigger much bigger desk. furniture made from airplanes and we're this is high-end recycling we're it going is. green with this it is it's very high-end recycling and a lot of i have some pilots as customers um a lot of it is corporate uh-huh. because they want the wow factor i mean we have tables made from stearman ribs mm-hmm. uh all types of different things. C-130 outer flap. Right. I mean, and I, my clients are Microsoft, GoDaddy. People think, oh, it just must be aviation companies. No, not at all. I they mean, like that, that same aviation theme. Well, they I, like the theme, but they like the wow factor. Yeah, well, they know aviators are badasses. Exactly. <laughs> now, That's it. Now, there is something that you, that Moto Art sells that a lot of pilots can afford. Right. And um, it's one of the coolest things that you guys have come out with. Tell us about the little the little plane, keychains. plane tags. Yeah, right. So what what we do is that we'll find skins, and I have everything, uh, a lot of the you know DC three, DC nine, uh, DC eights. So I have a lot of aircraft, including. Be the first B-1 bomber ever. So we take the fuselage uh-huh. and we cut an oval piece out of it, about the size of a, a tag that you'd use luggage for luggage tag, chain, kind of luggage a thing. Tag. Yeah, and it's imprinted on the. It's the original paint, so we don't repaint it. Yeah. it's the original. We etch out a photo of the, uh, you know, an illustration of the aircraft, the end number, what number it's, uh, which position it has out of, let's say, a thousand pieces. This mm-hmm. is number two hundred of a thousand, and People and, and also lo- a little bit about the significance of the aircraft too. Oh, absolutely! I right. mean, you can look up that end number and see what that plane was. We have uh, actually the l- latest plane. Well, we we have it was called uh, it was the first one of the first Virgin airline aircraft. Oh, nice! Right, we have that. We have the Gimli glider. Oh yeah, I've heard we, about that plane. Right? Yeah, so yeah. That, that quite we have a the story. Gimli glider. It's we just we just bought and acquired and are making from. President Trump's very first private jet. Okay. And so and it's a big one, right? So we so we just got a hold of so that. So there might be a few of those uh, those plane tags stamped out of that since it's a big a big jet. Oh yeah, we <laughs> yeah we have quite a few of those. So but I mean F eighty sixes. Man, it, that's historical. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. A lot a lot of historical pieces. Uh, so it's. It's if you go online to plane tags dot com, okay. you will see a lot of 
that we have a pretty big range now of different aircraft. That's and, awesome. And it's a way to keep that history. That's, yeah, keep I it mean, alive. What we do is keep yeah. it alive. If somebody sits at, a, at an executive desk or conference room table and the, it gives that person the opportunity to say, this is actually a, a this is from a warbird that protected our country. That's really you nice know, to, our, to, our to have that. And to, it's really another salute to that particular air, airplane that did so much for our freedom. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So plane tags, that's another motor art product. And I, I love working with the company because, again, I I look for homes for these parts. Right. It's not, I'm like I'm that into furniture is that the parts deserve a good home. Okay. Yeah. Some place that where somebody actually loves it, respects it, and will, they'll hand things down to other generations. Fantastic. So they give it to their kids. You know, I mean, a B-25 bomber elevator for, for a yeah. personal desk. Yeah. Come on. I mean, just, it doesn't. It's, those are hard to come by, and that'd be that'd be a, quite a conversation piece. That would be really really unique, and it keeps the history alive, and it keeps us thinking about folks who worked so hard to keep freedom free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of you know, I mean, other than outside of if I need power. I, I got to say, I mean, I have a haunted 1,000 generator I put in my airplane. That's it's, why you have an 800-pound That's uh, why air, I have a well, air, airplane actually, with 800 pounds of stuff. Yeah, it only weighs 27 pounds. But but this is really sure. important. People always think solar, solar, I can do solar. Uh-huh. And I use solar uh-huh. sometimes. But I've been out there for three days where there was no sun, where we- it was weathered pouring in. rain. Uh-huh. Weathered in, pouring rain. And guess what? Everything is going to be dead. Right. So if you're so you relying on that generator, for batteries and the Luma lights, I mm. mean, all these things that everybody's so attached to, it's great. But when they go dead, they're dead. So, yeah, so that's why I like to use a generator. I can power a lot of things. I mean, actually, I was powering, I was trying to power my iPad with a, a product, a solar product. And, and it just they don't hold the charge, and even even uh, a lot of aircraft with the uh, twelve volt uh, you know charger receptacle in the aircraft that doesn't even you know keep iPad Mini going. Yeah, I've noticed I, that myself. Yeah, right. I never <laughs> plug into the battery. I'm always afraid that yeah. I'm going to discharge it or something. So we have to be yeah, be careful with that. And electronics right. could be finicky. Electronics have their own sure. their own way of life. Sure. That's a good tip though on the on the generator. Well we appreciate you coming and visiting with us mm-hmm. at Hangar Talk Ramona. Thank you. And thank you again for spending time. Uh, folks just a reminder, skychick.com and thanks again for being on our show, Ramona. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. David, that that was a great talk. Um, have you have you done this? Have you gone camping with your airplane? I actually went camping with my airplane down at Sun and Fun a number of years ago, but I didn't have any of the cool gadgets that <laughs> Ramona was talking about. Yeah. And uh, she's got a really uh, really interesting way of getting out in the back country and doing it safely. Hmm. You know, and she comes came up with some really good ideas uh, for folks to to listen to and, and try to try to do that themselves and keep it safe, keep it fun. But you know, bottom line, you want folks to know where you are. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, hey, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. So you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk. Don't forget we're on iTunes and on the Sporties Takeoff app. All right. Thanks, David. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.